Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. In this new series that I'm starting today, we're talking about spiritual warfare. It's a real battle going on all around us, but you can't even begin to fight until you know who your enemy even is. This storm is raging. It's raging all around us. There is a storm that is blowing, and all indications are that it's going to be worse before it gets better. And I don't care which political party is in charge because this is not a political battle that we're fighting. This is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. This is spiritual warfare. Our nation doesn't have a Democrat or Republican problem. They are part of the problem. (laughs) Our nation has a spiritual problem. And this battle, this war has been raging long before even the United States Constitution, long before the Magna, Magna Carta long before the Code of Hammurabi, long before even the Garden of Eden, a revolt broke out in eternity among spiritual beings, beings that are like us and not like us. This war broke out because Lucifer, one of the beautiful spiritual beings, decided to ask the question, does God really deserve to be God? And he led a revolt in heaven with rebels against God, trying to make the case that he, Lucifer, could in fact be a better God. And the history of all creation is the story of how God is answering that question. Does God deserve to be God? I preached a message about this topic back at the beginning of August. And I kind of spell it all out and give you the one unifying theory of everything in creation. And I kind of give you all the background. I don't have time to go into it all today, but I give you all the background on what that means. In fact, if we can go back to that little video of the, of the stand resources page, if you go there and you just scroll down on the resources page, you'll see the superstructure series. If you just tap on that series, then it'll open up your YouTube app and it'll show you all those messages. And the very first one in that series, superstructure number one, the big question, why? Why did God create the universe? It's the back story on this revolt that broke out in heaven and it shows you why God has done everything that he's done ever since he's answering the question does God deserve to be God and I hope that that message there it goes I hope that message is helpful to you I really recommend that you go back and listen to it I think it's one of the most important messages that I've ever preached This is a very real conflict that continues all around us. It's going on all the time, all around us. It's a spiritual battle, but it does work out in the physical realm. And you are in the middle of it. You have a role to play in this ongoing 
spiritual battle and you do participate in it. You may not realize it. You may not even know that you're participating, but you are participating in this war. Every time you make a decision, every time you move, every time you react to a situation, you are contributing in this conflict and answering the question, does God in fact deserve to be God? You are involved in the spiritual war. In fact, the first blank on your page is this, the battle is real. The battle is real. There is a spiritual battle going on all around us. I had somebody ask me the question just the other day when I told them I was starting this message series, and they were like, yeah, I'm not sure I really buy into this, but all indications in Scripture are that the battle is real. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, okay? Are, are you clear? We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Your everyday battle is against evil, unseen rulers in the uh, spiritual world. It's against the mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's you fighting them. Our problem is that we Christians, we lose way too often. We settle for laying down in the battle and losing far too often. We are guilty of actually answering the question wrong. And every time we answer that question wrong, we don't stand, we fall. That's why I'm doing this series, because we have a real enemy whose entire existence is all about raging, waging a real war with real casualties, and you and I are in the middle of it already. This is a real war against a real enemy, our enemy. And the next blank on your page is this, our enemy is God's enemy. Our enemy is God's enemy, right? This is not just that Satan, Lucifer, wants to get you. He wants to get you so he can get God. He wants to break you down and make you answer the question, God doesn't deserve to be God so that he can undermine the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's his goal. Your enemy is God's enemy. In Isaiah, the prophet speaks for God and says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. In other words, God doesn't deserve to be God. I do. I can make a better God than God. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. He says, you have fallen from heaven, O shining star. We looked at this passage in that first message in August, and we talked about this phrase, shining star. 
In Hebrew, the word is Hallel, shining star. In Greek, it's the word phosphorus. And in Latin, the word is a proper name, Lucifer. You have been cast down, Lucifer. The King James translation retained the Latin name Lucifer. So when you read this verse in the King James translation, it says, How you're fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning. This is who our enemy is God's enemy. And some of the ways he's described in Scripture uh, are like this He's described as the angel of light. Right In 2 Corinthians, Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. What do you think that means? He's, he puts on a costume. He puts on a disguise. He doesn't approach you with horns and red skin and a forked tail and look all evil and everything. He approaches you as an angel of light. He wants you to think that his idea for you is the best idea. He wants you to think that you should just follow your heart you know, you should just do what you feel like doing because that's the best way, that's the brightest way for you. He's described as an angel of light. He's also described as being on the prowl, right? In Peter, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's on the prowl and he's looking for his next meal. He's looking for you. Now, I've never been, you know, on the prowl. I've never seen a, a lion on the prowl for me. I would imagine that would be a terrifying experience. One time, I was out in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and uh, I was just kind of roaming around, hiking on a trail. And I decided to go up into the woods and I'm walking around through the woods and uh, I get on this hillside and um, I'm on this wooded hillside. So I'm in the woods, in the mountains, on a hill and I notice that my shoe is untied. I, I, I bend down and I tie my shoe and I look up and through the bushes about 15 feet away, there's a coyote staring right at me. And I just want you to know, I was, I was scared for a minute. I don't know if that coyote was on the prowl looking for me. That coyote let me stand up and back away and get out of there. But it's pretty scary to know that you might be the prey that a predator is prowling for. And our enemy is described as being like a roaring lion on the prowl looking for you. He's also described as the father of lies. He hates the truth. He is the instigator of lies. In John, Jesus says that he is a liar and the father of all lies. Lies originate with your enemy, the devil, Satan. He is good at making you think that a lie is the truth. He's good at disguising himself as an angel of light while really being on the prowl for me and for you. He is really good at deceiving you and making you think that your spouse is your enemy, that your coworkers are your enemy, that your political opponents are your enemy. 
He's really good at making you think that your fight is with flesh and blood, that they are the ones that you are against. But remember, Ephesians 6 says we're not fighting. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Our fight is not with our spouse. Hello? Our fight is not with our kids or our parents. Our fight is not with our coworkers or our neighbors. Our fight's not even with Democrats or Republicans. Our fight is against the spiritual powers in the unseen world. That's our enemy. Let's just be really, really clear on that. We're put here to love our neighbor and hate what is truly evil. Let's get it straight because we spend way too much time in our keyboard, warrior, social media, political, commercial world hating everybody around us. And somehow we've been deceived by Satan to think that if I disagree with your opinion on a political issue, therefore I must hate you. I must destroy you. You are my enemy. And that's a lie from Satan. That's a lie from Satan. And we bought into it. Are we standing? Or have we fallen? Our, our fight is against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. What this means is, next blank on your page, our biggest problems are spiritual problems. Our biggest problems are spiritual problems. We think we're fighting against the angry or the jerk or the idiot or the bad person but our problems are spiritual problems. Our fight should be on our knees, not on our keyboards. Hello? And it's a tough fight. I'm not gonna lie, it's a tough fight. It's a tough fight. Each and every one of us is honestly, honestly coming from way behind in this fight. All of us, you and me, we're all coming from way behind in this battle. I know in church world, we always like to talk about victory and how we win in the end. We do. But how often do we pause to remember where we started? How often do we pause to remember where we're really coming from in this battle? Because I don't think you can win until you remember where you started. And Paul is very clear with us. I'm just going to walk through uh, a few verses in Ephesians, and we're going to look at how Paul describes where you started in this battle. You, you, you claim to be a victorious, winning Christian standing and building, but where did you come from? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. I'm going to start off with Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And here's what he says. Once you were what? All right, I'm not hearing it. Once you were dead. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You, believer, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. You used to obey 
the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Your commander was the wrong commander. You were following the wrong leader, and that means you were dead. He, the commander of the evil powers, the devil, is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. What this is telling us is that each of us, all of us, were born into a world at war. And we, you and I, gasped our first breath on the wrong side of the battle. We were born into a bloodline of traitors. We were born enemies of God. And everything about us loved being enemies of God. We love being opposed to God, proving with every breath that we took that God did not deserve to be God. We loved this rebellious existence. That's what Paul's saying in the very next sentence. In verse three, he says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Think of the biggest enemy of God you can think of. Think of the media personality, the political personality, the rock star. Think of the biggest enemies of God you can think of. And he's saying here that all of us used to live that way, obeying our old commander, the enemy of God. And we were under God's wrath just like those people, just like them. We were passionate about it. We desired and inclined that way passionate in our rebellion against God. We have been created to glorify God, to look like him, talk like him, act like him, to point the world to him, to worship him, but instead we broke everything when we broke the beauty that he created in us. It became warped and disfigured, sinful, and we obeyed the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Our very existence was a crime against God. By our very nature, we were subject to his anger, his wrath. Jesus tells us in John that the wrath of God remains on the rebellious. It remains on the rebellious. In other words, God is slow to anger. His word tells us repeatedly over and over again, God is slow to anger, but it remains. Once it's there, it remains. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And a day of wrath is coming. There is a day of God's righteous holy anger that is coming for every traitor, every rebel, every disobedient, unrepentant sinner. That day is coming. 
He's slow to anger, but his anger remains. He will deal with our sin because his anger is building and building and building, and this is where we start. This is where all of us are coming from. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many Sundays your butt has been in that seat. You started there. You started as a traitorous, rebellious criminal against a holy God. Are we clear on that? However, I love what Paul says in the very next sentence. He says, but God... Don't we love that phrase? We deserve what was coming for us, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. Even though he was angry, even though his wrath remains, he loves us so much. And even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us what? I'm not hearing it. He gave us Come on, he gave us life. We were dead and he deserved to give us more death. He deserved to judge us, punish us, but instead he chose to love us and give us life. Life, it's only by God's grace you've been saved. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So it's his grace that gives us this life for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Jesus goes and becomes death on our behalf. He goes to the cross and God's wrath isn't just obliterated, it's fully exercised. God takes out his wrath against my sin onto his own son. He blames Jesus for what I had done and he punishes Jesus in my place. Jesus experiences the wrath of God is killed for me on the cross. He dies and he went to the grave. But three days later, he rose again, proving that he had paid the price, paid in full for my sins. And now he is seated with his father in the throne room of heaven. And for some crazy reason, his father has decided to seat me right alongside Jesus. Praise, somebody ought to be happy about that. Good grief, I've gone from death to life. I've gone from rebel to co-heir with Christ. I've gone from object of wrath to beloved child of God. Is that you today? Have you moved from death to life? Because I'm not feeling, I'm gonna be honest with you early service, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm feeling like you're giving me a smile and a nod, but you've forgotten where you came from. And you don't realize that you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ, despite your ugly rebellion that let's be honest, still continues today. Let's be honest, your rebellion still continues today. You've been given this grace to be saved, but you still fall. You still answer the question wrong. You still prove that God is not worthy of being God, yet he still loves you. He still looks at you and he still sees his beloved, forgiven child of God. Are you feeling it? In Ephesians 2, 7, the next verse, the next sentence says, so, 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 God 
can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. This is what I talked about in that first message in August is how God now points to us. When the question is raised, does God deserve to be God? He just points, he says, okay, you wanna see? Look, 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 look. Look at Paul right there. You think I'm worthy of being God or not? <laughs> look what I did right there. Look at that guy. You know where he started and look at where he is now. He's a faithful, obedient child of God now because of what I've done in his life. He's not the same as he was anymore. You wanna see how good God is? Look at that. That's what he does. He points to you. What this means is the next plank on your page. It's our victory comes through Christ. Our victory in this battle comes through Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved and it's by grace that you fight this fight and it's by grace that you win. Victory comes through Christ. And here's the good news. He's already done everything that needs to be done for you to experience victory and power in your life. That battle has already been won. I know the battles, the skirmishes are still raging, but the war has already been decided and it's already been won. Jesus won it when that tomb opened and he walked out on that first Easter Sunday. You and I do not have to earn our victory. You don't have to figure it out for yourself. God has already given you everything you need to win this spiritual war in your life. So that's what we're gonna be looking at as we study through this over the upcoming weeks, that you aren't, this is really important, that you aren't fighting for victory in your life. You are fighting from victory in your life. You're not struggling, trying to hopefully one day get there. You're already there. He's already done it for you. And what you get to experience is his victory that's already been won. So be strong in the Lord. That's what it says in Ephesians. We looked at this already. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. Once you are saved, you are sealed. You have been given the permanent indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and you have access to all of his power every single moment in your life. I know you feel like sometimes you are overpowered. Sometimes you feel like you go down in defeat, but trust me, you have access to all of his power all of the time. It's not your authority, it's his authority. It's not your power, it's his power. His power doesn't go up and down. We only struggle with our ability to access it. Why do we struggle so much? Why do we struggle? Why do we sometimes feel like the power of God is far out of our reach? It's because of our own sin. It's because of our own limited experience here. 
God is not wavering. He's the father of lights. He casts no shifting shadow. He's not up and down and here and there. He's consistent. And he gives authority to win. Jesus did this. How many disciples did Jesus have? Huh? Twelve main ones, right? But there weren't only twelve. We all know this, right? I mean, we know there's kind of concentric circles of disciples. And we know that his kind of core group was really, I mean, his, his main core group was 12. His, his whole overall group was about 120-ish. But there was also this kind of middle group of 72. So he, he gets these 72 together. So it's the 12 along with a, a bunch of other ones. And, and, and he's like, okay, I want you to go in my authority, in my power. I want you to exercise my power and I want you to speak the gospel. Tell them that the kingdom of God is at hand. I want you to go and as you're going, I want you to, I want you to back it up with the way you live. You will heal in my name. You will cast out demons in my name and people will respond to the good news because of your life that they see. So he sends them out to go on this basically mission trip and they go in different directions. And then later they come back for their report back time and we find that in Luke 10. When the 72 disciples return, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. When we speak the name of Jesus, even the demons, the demons that terrify us, that are scary to us, the demons that have beaten us up in the past maybe, even they obey us when we use your name. And Jesus' response is, yes. <laughs> yes, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Yes, and then he says this weird thing. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I was there when it happened. I was there when Satan was cast out for even asking the question and leading the rebellion. I was there, I saw it happen. I was part of that. And he says, I'm the one that did that. I'm the one that cast them out because I and the Father are one. I have the authority. He says at one point, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And here's what he says to them next. He says, look I've given you authority. I'm delegating authority to you, soldier, in this battle. You have authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Man, that ought to be great news. That ought to be great news for us, and we ought to be excited about that. But Jesus says, but careful, careful, careful in what you're excited about. Here's what he says next. He says, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. In other words, yeah, the evil spirits will obey you. You will win this fight, but it's not because of you. Don't get all caught up in you being victorious. You get caught up in me being victorious. You get caught up in the fact that your names are registered with me. I am your authority. Your authority, your power comes from me. The victory is already won. Now walk in it, is what he's saying. 
Stop letting the passionate desires of rebellion have their way with you. Walk in the victory that has been bought for you. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. We don't, we don't use handguns or flamethrowers or tanks or helicopters or cruise missiles. We use God's mighty weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. This is what we're dealing with the rest of this year in this series. We're going to be dealing with what the real weapons of our warfare are. Because you probably don't even know all of them, and you may not know how to use them. But I want you to stand, and I want you to win. So for the rest of this year, the next six or eight weeks, we're going to be talking specifically about this. We're going to be talking about it on Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to be talking about it all through November and December. So here's my challenge for you. Be here for this. Be here for this. I know, I know it's, it's November. And the holiday season is going to get you. Right? I mean, you're either going to get sick and you're going to want to be out for a Sunday or two or you're going to get busy, too much going on to be with your brothers and sisters together training for battle and learning to stand. I know, I know, I know you're going to get busy. But that's exactly how your enemy wins. That's exactly how he defeats you. I promise you, I'm going to be talking about some stuff that is highly sensitive to your enemy, and he's going to do whatever he can to keep you from hearing it. He doesn't want you to learn to use your weapons because then he might actually have to put up a bigger fight. And even worse news to him, you might actually win. So I'm challenging you. The holidays are going to get you crazy be here for this. Normally, on, on, in December, I, start, I always do a little three or four week Christmas message series, and we talk about baby Jesus. You know, we talk about the manger and the donkeys and all that stuff. But this year, we're going to be training for battle all the way up to the end of the year. Be here for this. Don't let your enemy defeat you from even training for battle because John tells us you belong to God you belong to God you don't belong to the rebel you belong to God dear children you've already won a victory over those evil people around you because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world why you struggle so much? Why are you exhausted so much? When you see the real problem, you see the real solution. 
as we move into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, I think it's so important not just to remember that Jesus is the reason for the season, but last blank on your page, Jesus really is the answer. Jesus really is the answer. Knowing him and knowing how to access his power really is the answer to help you stand and win in this war against our enemy. Are we gonna do this? Come on, are we gonna do this? Are we gonna go down in defeat or are we gonna stand in victory? Come on, what? Let's stand.